Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the fifth season of Bring the Virtual Balance podcast. And it's brought to you by the Office of Health and Wellness at Baruch College. So my name is Isabella, and I'm joined by my um, fellow pause peer mentor, Nisha. Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm Nisha. I'm the other pause peer mentor. Um, so I'm glad to be back on the podcast. As a small reminder, at the Office of Health and Wellness, we offer a lot of yearly programs and workshops such as uh, sexual education, stress management, public speaking, and more. So as PAUSE, like we've mentioned, um, stands for Peers Educating for Wellness Services. We encourage healthy lifestyle choices through a variety of events such as this one. And to learn more about all the events that we throw, um, you can follow our Instagram at Baruch Pause or email us at joy.allison at baruchcuny.edu. And so all of our programs that we do relate to the dimensions of the wellness wheel, um, which are emotional, intellectual, spiritual, occupational, social, environmental, and physical. Cover the whole spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> Today we are talking about uh, living with loss, um, and basically, uh, grief is uh, what what we're going to discuss and wh what it's about, how to live with it, um, how to cope, and um, we're going to be focusing on the emotional and social components of grief, which relate to coping effectively. Um, so, for instance, um, creating meaningful relationship, developing a sense of connection. Um, and belonging, as well as building a strong um, network that can help you through uh, grief while you're facing it. So with all that in mind, let's um, welcome our guest speaker today, which is Catherine White. So Catherine, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? Yeah, um, I'm Catherine, and I'm a licensed master social worker. And I completed my training at Columbia, where I was a trauma counselor at a community high school. And I also worked at the Center for Prolonged Grief, um, which is at Columbia. And I focused my research primarily on young adult bereavement. And here at Baruch, I am a student success coach um, in the Office of Orientation and Advisement, and I also work in the BOSS office, and I am currently teaching the first year seminar class as well. Um, and the students that I work primarily with at Baruch um, are students who are on probation um, or have been dismissed and have been reinstated, and so those are my, those are my key students. Um, in addition to joining in as many, you know, of these types of events as I can and just helping out where I can. Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so with all of that in mind, um, I wanted to ask uh, the first question of the podcast, which is, what got you interested in grief research in the first place? Sure. Um, so I wouldn't say there was any prior interest at all in grief research in my brain or in my life. Um, I was on a very rigid trajectory during my undergrad. Um, I was pretty ego driven and I was a varsity athlete. I was determined to get into an MBA program. Um, I had applied for a two plus two program to get, you know, immediate response from an MBA program and to know that I had that. And so I was very, um, you know, my drive was very different. I was working in um, television news production for my internships throughout my undergrad. Um, and then my senior year hit, and I was at a regatta, and um, 
I got news that my dad had passed away from a sudden heart attack. And I did, I did not take this news well. I did not know what to do with myself. I felt that no one really knew what to do with me, to what to do with my grief. I, I did feel like I was going, going crazy. Um, I isolated myself in my dorm, um, kind of watched my GPA that I had protected so dearly, um, completely tank, um, quit the rowing team, didn't get into grad schools that I had wanted to, um, and was just really living in my grief alone and isolating myself. Um, and once, as we kind of go into like my exploratory system was coming back on um, after graduation, I decided to go to social work school and wanted to go kind of into the counseling realm. Um, but then it just really so happened that at Columbia, it does have one of the leading grief research centers. And so I applied, I got the position for that year. And um, as I dove more into the research, I realized, A, I was not going crazy, um, that I was having an acute grief reaction when um, my dad died during that time. And it also just got me really concerned and worried about the young adult population in general, um, because we are at this stage, especially between like 18 to 24, um, kind of like emerging adulthood age, where you're asked to do all these fundamental, you know, key life tasks, you need to form an autonomous self separate from your family. And oftentimes you are away from your family, especially if you're a college student, you need to build an identity, a career, um, kind of regardless of the circumstances that are going on, form relationships that hopefully last a lifetime. Um, and this is also kind of competing with the best years of your life narrative. And so you're kind of doing all these things, but there's this underlying current of you should be enjoying yourself. These are the best years of your life, which I always say, I, I certainly hope not. I don't want it to be the best years of my life. And then, you know, hopefully if I live into my nineties and the rest, the 70 years later are going to suck, you know, I don't want this to peak. Why would I want this to peak at all? I want to keep it going up. Um, and so you're competing with that. And then also you're competing with the fact that during this age, um, there's a high rate of substance misuse, suicide ideation, suicide completion, major mental health diagnoses. And so all this stuff is happening and a death loss, hap a death loss happens. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, things going on in your brain um, that kind of disrupt all those fundamental um, markers that you're supposed to be making during that time period. And so I what I thought was me going crazy after my dad died um, was very validating in diving into the research um, that I was kind of textbook having a grief response, though some of the responses were maladaptive, including um, boys and booze, that, that was a phase, and tattoos. Um, but, you know, some of the tattoos were, were good. Some of them I'm like, maybe get them removed later on in life. Um, but other than that, that's really how I landed, I would say, in grief research. Um, it has been shown that at any point, 30% of students are within the first 12 months of a death loss. I would say post-COVID, during COVID, not only are those numbers increased, but um, 
I think that there's a whole other side of the non-death losses that we really need to address because those are also important, especially post-pandemic. And so I think, you know, this is a group, you know, even teaching my first year seminar, I asked them how, how was Zoom high school? You know, what are the impacts that we're going to see from students who during these very formative years were isolated? Um, and so that's how I got into this. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit, a lot of it about that. <laughs> really, really cool to hear your story because I feel like a lot of people can relate that they were on this like mm -hmm. certain track. They were so focused to go in this one direction mm -hmm. and then like, boom, something hits and then you're totally mm -hmm. thrown off track and you feel like you're like totally lost, don't know what to do. And then you still can like find your little niche, find whatever you want to go into. And then like, it turns out, that that was like the right path all along mm -hmm. you know it's yeah. it's really it's really good to hear that you know there are people who went through that and they came out the other one the other end like well so since you know you're you got into grief why don't you tell us what in basics what is grief how because mm -hmm. we i think you know we all have a certain idea of what grief is we may think we know but we actually may not know so what do you what is your definition so I think in order to fully understand grief, and this is what they did a lot at the um, Center for Prolonged Grief, um, and just educating, um, you know, practitioners, psychiatrists, therapists, and just communities on what grief is. And Dr. Catherine Shear, she really emphasizes in order to understand grief, you need to understand attachment. Um, and I think you know, we do spend a lot of time in pop culture and media, whatever it might be talking about, you know, love, connection, etc. But, you know, if you're old enough to love, you're old enough to grieve. And so first, we're just going to dive into attachment and why we form attachments um, in order to understand why it hurts so bad when these attachments leave. So um, kind of going to get a little technical, but stay with me, I'll try to make it quick. Um, but essentially, we are programmed as humans to seek and maintain close attachment relationships. And we resist greatly from these separations. Um, we resist really from the separation of these attachments. Um, and in broader terms, this is our biobehavioral system. And within this framework, we can talk about the attachment systems and also the exploratory systems in our brain. Um, and so attachment figures and if it's not a figure, if you're listening to this and you want to think of a person, place, or thing, just something that you find comfort in. So we'll just say whatever that attachment is for you. Um, but mostly we'll be talking about attachment figures um, is they help us maintain our cognitive functioning, our self-esteem, our problem-solving abilities, our relationship to others, and even our immune system, our sleep quality, and how we experience um, different grades of pain. Um, and so these are figures that we seek out when we're distressed. And they also form the foundation for our exploratory system. And so the exploratory system is the desire to go out into the world and work, play, create, um, be collaborative with others. And so you often see when someone has a loss, um, whatever that loss may be, their exploratory system kind of 
gets a little bit inhibited, you see them isolating themselves. You know, we lose that interest, that, that self-confidence, um, that, that attachment figure directly or indirectly provided. Um, and a lot of it is subconscious. So we're not like, I wasn't thinking at this time, like, you know, having my dad there like makes me able to go socialize and row and be a student. Um, a lot of it is just, you know, our own sense of well-being and the way we see the world and a loss can really have a detrimental impact of changing how you view most everything. Um, and so this acute grief, what I'm talking about is the acute grief um, is the symptomatic response to the disruption of these regulatory systems. And so what we talk about as the stages of grief um, we can also say are the separation response, the response to the separation of the attachment, if that makes sense. Um, and so it's the time period which a lot of these stages of grief are happening. And so it's not necessarily that you go through this stage and then you go through this stage and you might as well. I mean, you can go through, you know, stages and linear, whatever it might be, but these are more symptomatic responses to the loss of the attachment. Um, of course, the response, Response does vary based on the degree of the attachment, what that relationship looked like, the you know the nature of the loss. But there are a lot of commonalities um, in the acute grief stage, which again, for six months on average, um, could go longer, could go less, and we can talk about that in a little bit. But um, during this this stage, you have or this I would say umbrella. Um, there's just strong feelings of yearning, um, and that can be considered like proximity seeking. So wanting to be near this person, place thing, insert loss of choice, you know, um, sadness, um, longing, um, insistent memories of that person, place or thing um, that you lost, that you want to talk about them all the time. Um, you know, think about even in breakups, which we'll go into a little bit feeling like they're going to come back um and those can be i think you know in the stages of grief this can be like bargaining but also it can be like protest feelings um anxiety anger remorse following the loss are also common um but basically during this first six months um from the separation of this key attachment um the loss is at center stage of your life um and it can be really hard as a young person to function as a young person, to function as any age. Um, but it's really hard, I think, as a young person, again, to finish those developmental tasks of being a full-time student. If you're working full-time, you know, to show up, to put a smile on. Um, I think, you know, it's also, it's hard to show up when you're so gutted. And also you don't know how people will respond to the intense, you know, grief that you have. Um, and so that's where a lot of isolation comes into play. Unfortunately, the best healing for your brain is connection. And so it's kind of if we isolate because we're afraid of our own pain and these, you know, these symptoms and how others will perceive them, um, it does prolong and even could complicate the grieving process. Um, I think that's so unfortunate. Sorry to interrupt you. but No, good. Yeah. That, I've noticed that a lot of people like I, I had a friend who lost his parent mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I felt like, oh, I don't, I don't want to reach out because I don't know how to talk to him or like, I, I don't want to make him upset and I don't know what to say. So I'm mm -hmm. just going to like give him space. And I feel like 
that's not helping at all. And it's just so, it's unfortunate that we do the opposite of what we really need. And in a lot mm-hmm. of the time, I noticed that people who did experience a loss isolate themselves as well because they don't want to bother people. Like, they're not mm-hmm. the happiest they could be. So they, they isolate themselves. And it's just like a cycle of doing yeah. the, the, the opposite thing. Um, yeah. I was- that like I agree with you Bella because I feel like you know just like how you mentioned Catherine um like when you're going through those um how do I explain it like motions phases and the stages of grief you feel very gutted and because you feel gutted you don't want to show and um it's kind of like um when you when you don't have like the best version of yourself to offer you don't want to offer anything because you don't you like just like how Bella was saying she doesn't she she doesn't know what to say she doesn't know what to ask and sometimes like it when two people are in two different lanes it's hard to like intertwine those worlds because the the right thing to do is like talk to a person or you know try to like be there for them but that's not like the like always the easiest thing to do because when somebody mm-hmm. is in like the the state of like grief and complications sometimes like that person might feel like the other person does not understand and they don't want to unload their problems on the other person if that makes any sense oh absolutely and the the crazy part about all of this is that it's validated so highly in the research which was like I'm like oh my gosh I'm doing everything textbook um but that was something that like the three I think the common um why students don't interfere with you know a grieving peer is not knowing what to say um uncomfortable feelings uh, around the loss just kind of being kind of just being like off put by it and and then the third was like having no feeling like there's no there's no point of you being in the matter like what would you contribute or you know not contribute and so there's kind of like a hands-off approach um but i think you know what you just said like if you're not if you can't show up as your full self that was you know I I for in my situation I couldn't show up like I was running my own like campus group I was in a scholar program I was a varsity athlete and I was like all these things on the outer and I couldn't even leave my dorm room my dorm room was a mess and I like didn't want to like even go outside then I had to have like a knee surgery and I was just like I couldn't show up the way that I had built the character of Catherine my entire time at school, um, kind of as this very sparkly, very, you know, effortless perfection gal, but also kind of messy, but also like shows up. So I couldn't even get that. So I was like, you know, what? I'm just gonna check out for a minute. Um, and the minute ended up being really detrimental to future Catherine. Um, who, you know, didn't graduate on time, had to take statistics over the summer, um, which was super unfun during your acute grief stage of having to take statistics um, and just a whole host of other things. And had there been, you know, some sort of mediator or I did have friends who had also understood loss and had lost themselves. And so that was helpful, but there wasn't any during that time there wasn't any streamlined system in place like i had to reach out to my professors individually in which i didn't like i didn't feel like opening the email like there's also been talks about how grief can feel like a concussion um and how because your brain is like re it's like you're refiling 
every memory with that person and every, you know, thought or future thought with that person, you know, has to re refile. Um, it's just, it's a tricky time. Um, but I think, I don't know if I went over this already, but it can also be seen because I know it's like so com like it's very layered and we can go on forever. But I think something that's helpful for me is just thinking about it like a physical wound. Did I already go over that? And no. just like the initial the initial pain is super intense. Um, you know, that's all you can think about is like you have this gashing cut on your whatever arm. Um, but you do have like your body is equipped with the ability to heal that wound. Um, it takes a minute, takes a long minute, um, but over time it does heal. And that's where we get into, you know, integrated grief. Um, and that's kind of every day after the loss. And so the grief is never something to be completed. It never ends. Like, I'm not saying it never ends. The intensity and the feelings and the whole crappiness parts of it um, and the super disruptive nature of it does subside however grief isn't something to to finish to complete to accomplish um and the doctor share she also says a lot like grief is the form that love takes when the person you know and i like to say person place thing animal whatever um expanding it all dies and so just like love isn't you know temporary you can't like quantify i love you you know i'm not saying i love you this much i love you this much so we can't really quantify our grief it's like I'm going to grieve this much for you and this much for you um so, so what do you think about <clears throat> sorry what do you think about time heals like people say a lot the time heals like you'll get over it soon you'll get over it in this x amount of time what do you think about that I mean it does so it's not that the time heals it depends on what happens during that time so there are situations and actually it just got accepted into the dsm which is a huge major milestone um, prolonged grief where you have these acute grief symptoms that we talked about earlier where that's that really intense um gutted feeling those can go on for years even like decades um and that's when the person is really stuck in their grief and that's um you know, can be diagnosed, can be treated. That's an extreme case. Um, typically speaking, it's about a six-month process that you're in the acute grief. It can go on for a year, typically about six months, and then it turns into the integrated grief where you accept the finality of the loss. Your exploratory system, gorgeous, turns back on. You start realizing that goals that you have are not only attainable, but, you know, you can attain them um, and you start you know finding other figures person places or things um, that serve as those key attachments to where you can you know build a new life trajectory from um, but yes time does heal comma but if you're isolated the entire time during that it's going to be really tricky and so I, I do worry a lot about our our pandemic kids and our zoom high schoolers because there is so much isolation and i always encourage my students even who um you know don't want to be on camera during our meetings and i'm just like that you know just missing out on that face-to-face -face, it's like it's like a workout for your brain this is a workout for our brains like connecting and discussing and just being with each other is a workout um and so yeah that was like a lengthy time does heal depending on what you do with the time <laughs> Um, and the supports you have. Thank you so much for that. Um, I also wanted to add, I feel like um, 
sometimes one of the reasons why we go through like months of isolation like you know we we could have a good outcome but that good outcome can only be attainable with what we choose to do right now and sometimes it's like not the easiest you know because it, it, it's like this grieving process that kind of turns into depression along the lines right it's inevitable it happens um but when you lose somebody a family member somebody you grew up with all your life right they're they pretty much wired you into who you are maybe the reason you like biking or maybe the reason you like waking up early in the morning and having a specific breakfast right it's mm -hmm. it's kind of like it shows up in almost everything you do mm -hmm. so when you're grieving and you're going through all these processes and then it turns into depression how do you like how do you tell what you're going through like, how, how do you have a clear idea that, okay, my body just needs to heal or my body mm -hmm. is like, you know, maybe it's permanently damaged. Maybe it's like, it's going to take like years of therapy. Like, mm -hmm. how, like, how do you differentiate grief and depression? Sure. Um, I'll go through a few things. During those times, especially if, you know, it's, a key person like a parent or a sibling um those figures that formed you you know they are in they're in your dna i was 50 percent my dad um you know and so the loss of him and every memory you know and we can get into that a little bit later but um it changes like you said it changes a lot and there is times where you just need to sit with it and just let it take its course because it not only are you feeling like total crap um, the worst that you'll ever feel. It's really the worst part of, I mean, there's a lot of different spectrums of very positive human experiences and very horrible ones. This is in like the, oh man, this is the worst. Um, not fun, very unfun, very lengthy. Doesn't seem like it's ever going to end. It doesn't necessarily end. It does evolve. Um, but I think um, during that stage, and if it does become you know, depression, which we get into, there are, you know, treatments, if it's comorbid, so if you have like, you know, if you're in acute grief, and you also have are showing symptoms for depression, you can get treated for the depression. Um, but how to differentiate, we can go into, um, I will say during that acute grief stage, and like following a lot of changes are happening, like your assumptive worldview. So like how you view the world, like there's so much going on, like so, so much going on at all the times, especially here in New York City, like, how our brain absorbs things is like kind of like a channel. So we have like an assumptive worldview. We have like a platform for which we see things as like benevolent, you know, efforts in equals the same efforts out. And so when you have a loss, it just it doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense, especially if it's like a sudden loss, um, a breakup from left field, whatever it might be, your assumptive worldview has changed a lot. And so that will stay with you um, for a hot minute until you kind of form a new assumptive worldview. Um, with the depression, the key markers, and I will say this, I think it's something that we really tried to hone in um, during the trainings um, at the center for prolonged grief because it is important to know what is natural grieving again we are all born with the ability to attach which we have to do to survive and thus god who i you know call or the world whatever um gave us the ability to detach because we have to um and so what is the difference between grief and depression so with grief feelings of sadness feelings of longing those like really 
crappy, crappy feelings, mostly, mostly involving thoughts of that person who was lost. Depression, really crappy feelings, feeling horrible. A lot of it is internalized, like I suck, I'm the worst, you know, it's more internalized within yourself and grief is more like putting it on or about or reminders of the person, um, place or thing that was lost. Um, also with depression, um, it's kind of these pervasive feelings of sadness, loss of interest in most activities. Whereas with grief, it's more of an avoidance of the activities that involve that person, place or thing that was lost. So it's not necessarily a loss of interest. It's more in everything. It's more of a loss of interest, but in the form of avoidance that you don't want to, you know, think about that person. Um, for example, and we could go into it. I went through a pretty big breakup that was pretty lengthy. And I had, you know, I still find myself avoiding my eyebrow place avoiding my nail salon avoid even like my dance studio all things very in close proximity to his apartment I find myself avoiding actively um so it's getting better um but you know avoidance versus loss of interest I'm trying to think um oh moments of joy with grief you can't I might have already said this but you can have moments of joy like life is horrible and you're gutted and you're you know head on you know head on the ground crying this is never going to end but then you have a moment of joy um and so like I've had during different lost moments in my world I just remember having different friends like quite literally grabbing me by the hands and like jumping me up and down up and down until like I laughed and smiled which is like silly but grief you can have those moments of joy like everything is not totally dark cloud whereas in depression it's more pervasive um and it's less easy to kind of tap into those moments of joy um that's so insightful because mm -hmm. you know <clears throat> I, I think we've talked about this before that when you were going through your grieving stages or you know phases you were given like antidepressants Mm -hmm. Then it's kind of, I feel like, like a Band-Aid solution, like a very, like, easy out. Like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, someone came in, they're dealing with grief, but, you know, they're presenting with these symptoms. So I'll just give them an antidepressant to, like, save myself the trouble of dealing with them. And it's, like, an mm -hmm. easy out when, in reality, it doesn't really work. So it's so important to see the difference, see the distinction. Yeah. And that's why it's so important, why prolonged grief is now in the DSM. So what the DSM is like the diagnostic manual for mental health disorders. And so, you know, psychiatrists, therapists, whatever they can, you know, prescribe, they can um, diagnose and bill insurance. Um, but if it's not in the book, it's like it doesn't exist um, kind of thing. And so I just remember it was pretty soon after he passed, I went to a psychiatrist and she diagnosed me as depressed completely overstepping grief like I didn't even know too much about acute grief until years later when I'm at Columbia like I was not grief literate I knew nothing I mean I had you know a coach kind of be like don't let your dad like kind of ruin your season sort of thing um because he's dead now so it was like responses were so unhelpful but now I can learn from them so I'm, I'm happy that they were incredibly unhelpful and that I went through such like a stark situation and then again 
coming out the other side, I got to look at, you know, different MRI scans of um, women who lost their only child during the one child policy in China. And just like what happens to their brain and how they respond, you know, to like antidepressants and how they don't and like what's happening to the brainstem and like how the grieving process is a process of the brain and it's not depression. Um, you can't, I'm not dismissing that it can't be or turn into depression. That would be a comorbid situation. Um, but grief is a response to the loss. And so. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's very specific. Oh, sorry. Um, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was curious about something because like sometimes I like I talk to different people or I'm like watching YouTube videos like sometimes when I feel down one thing that helps me is like watching other people go through what I'm going through because it, mm -hmm. it, it's uh, like a little bit of hope but then mm -hmm. if you kind of like analyze them a little bit further um a lot of people, and I'm not like talking negative upon this, but it, it's just kind of, it's kind of an observation. So a lot of people, you know, they look better. They're, they're going, um, they're exercising to, to get, to get through the pain. They, they're saying mm. all these things, right? But then they're also going to therapy. And mm. that's my point. So mm -hmm. if you have the ability to go to therapy, right? Mm -hmm. Most of these people because of therapy they're able to do x y and z because it's mm -hmm. in conjunction with therapy and there's like people like me and others in college who just can't like afford that but they're mm -hmm. also in denial in going to the therapy that the college offers mm -hmm. so like my question is like if you can't if you don't have like actual resources to help you through grief like when there's something insane intense like pain and you you don't want to go through four or five years of finding a solution how mm. could you like being a college student like what is like the quickest way of getting what you need without having the money um so that's something i know that i think we're going to talk about at the end as well about peer support peer support peer support peer support peer support I can't say it enough. Support, talking, talking to anyone, talking to anyone you can, getting it out. Literally, I like made friends when I was going through my breakup, which I want to make sure that we save time for disenfranchised grief because not everyone who's listening has had a death loss. You know, there's a whole host of losses, especially pandemic time. Um, get it out as much as you can. If you express yourself through through writing, if you don't like chatting, write it out. You know, just try to process and get it out. Um, I made friends, God, with how many baristas in the area. I got a lot of free coffee. Um, and myself, having gone through mental health training, um, it was hard for me to find a therapist. I still don't have a therapist. I'm not advocating for not going to therapy in whatever means. I just, like, I think I took one or two days of looking for a therapist and got over it. And I was like, okay, I'm just, it's so, it's such a saturated market right now that it would, the time it takes, like you said, I was just like, no, I need, I need help now. And so I think my most recent loss, my best friend, um, I'm very lucky that I live with her too. Um, she was by my side a lot of the times. If, if you're alone and you don't have a peer that you can trust, um, we are going to talk more in a bit about just finding different groups, um, finding, 
forming a group here on Bruce campus, but there are groups. Um, there's one called Actively Moving Forward, and it is um, an online, I know that they have an online platform, but they are a group um, that works specifically with bereaved college students. Um, and so there are ways to connect, but my main thing is connection. Um, and whatever that might be, um, you know, if you're connected to animals, I've spent a lot of time with my dog. Um, just connection, connection, connection. Isolation, no bueno. Connection, connection, and talking. If you can, if you don't like talking, whatever makes you feel human or alive. You know, there was moments where I just like didn't, I just didn't know how to even like operate. I was just like, I don't, being a human just totally sucks, especially in like the gutted acute grief stage. It's just like the most unfun, awful, shitty, horrible. And what I got really pissed off about was that no one was talking about it in the horribleness. We got to talk about it eight months, 10 months, 10 years, when we can look at it with a funny lens. You know, I remember being like, okay, now I can turn it into comedy. But what about those moments where I'm in a bathtub, filling up the bathtub with water, and then still finding myself in the bathtub once the water's all gone? unable to get out of the bathtub like where is those moments like how are we supposed to like move forward from that and I really think we have each other you know and the crappy part is that it is a universal experience it's individually felt at the worst level it like changes your genetics almost but it is universal and so like I can't say we have to like change society but like becoming more grief sensitive more grief literate and i know we, we're going to do a second episode of what to say what's helpful what's super unhelpful and just having people who, if we have more people who are informed and aware who can help um but yeah i just would say when you're ready to connect and your exploratory system is coming back on, never rush yourself. And when you're like not totally gutted and you're somewhat functional, functioning um, and you feel a bit more human, connect. That's awesome. Well, what I do also want to talk about is we've been sprinkling it in a little bit, mm -hmm. but I feel like we've been focusing mostly on death. And I do mm -hmm. want to talk about the, all the other types of losses because mm -hmm. I think it's a big misconception that grief can only be about losing like someone to death but we mm -hmm. we can lose so many other things so I want to I want you to you know talk about it yes. you kind of bust the myth that you can only grieve uh lost someone yeah. to death um yeah let me let me bust the myth I mean I don't know if I have the authority to bust any myths <laughs> But I will say that you can absolutely grieve a non-death loss. Um, and this is kind of categorized as disenfranchised grief and grief that is not validated or like, given the proper supports. Um, and so kind of within this framework, you can have a whole host of situations like loss of time. You know, I think a lot of people during the pandemic, you know, lost a lot of opportunities, lost a lot of time. And there's, you know, rumination and having those same like longing feelings. I wish I was in XYZ place. I wish I was in this place. I think um, there's also, I found a research article about like 
loss of like place. And so I think we don't talk about that a lot with college students, but especially for people who, I know it's a, a big commuter school, but for people who are coming from like out of state, you know, you're, there's a lot of um, regulatory systems within your brain and body that are kind of reinforced by having like a safe place. And like when you're, when you leave home, like the people place, you know, whatever it might be, and just like missing that place. Like if you don't, if you don't feel at home here, you know, if you feel like, and this isn't my thing, like you can even grieve like your past life, you know, um, you can grieve. I know like if you don't get into the program that you want to get into the, um, the major, I know Zicklin's really hard to get into, um, even like an internship, a job, think of it as an attachment. So like you can even think of it as like a romantic relationship. Um, you put a lot of time, energy, I call them eggs in the basket. And I'm really, even myself at 29, I'm trying to learn not to put all my eggs and attach my whole self to, you know, an application or a person or, you know, because that can get a little codependent. Um, but you absolutely can lose, especially if you pour a lot of yourself into it. Um, and so with the same token, like, it's not that it's not that you can't grieve it. It's just that all the, most of the funding, most of the funding for research has been going to death losses. Um, and if you think about it this way in the workplace, and also you have to see where it's validated in the workplace, you can have, you know, what, three to five business days for a death loss. If you're a student, you can reach out to a professor and be like, yo, I had this person die. Can I get an extension? But what about a divorce in the workplace? That is a monumental loss, you know? And what about a breakup, you know, on campus? That's a huge loss, especially if, you know, you've integrated your life with that person. And with each loss comes like a whole trickle of losses. So you have, you know, a loss of if you're in a relationship, for example, those friends that were friends of your partner, um, your eyebrow place that you love, you know, your CVS that you have to change. Like there's so many things that go into just being a human and your attachments um, that the loss of an attachment, especially a key attachment, um, even if that attachment is in the form of a job, you know, going to that job every day, feeling like your, your work is validated, which builds your self-esteem, which builds your confidence. Like, all those things about having like self-efficacy, goal orientation, um, confidence that are reinforced through our attachments, um, things like jobs, whatever it might be, can also reinforce those same things. So loss of those can invoke, evoke um, similar symptoms of acute grief. Um, and again, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's just that I think the the terminology and the funding goes right now to the death losses i imagine post-pandemic it's gonna open up a lot a lot a lot of different literature and you know research and funding opportunities for the non-death losses since that was a pretty universal thing i think we all went through many many non-death losses um and just like changing of our like assumptive worlds you know that's a big key marker for the acute grief um, stage of you know changing how how we see everything and so and I think you you've mentioned it in the beginning too when you said that like these years from 18 to like 25 years old these are supposed to be quote-unquote your best years you're like mm. the most shaping years the times when you make the most friends 
And then for us, like me and Nisha, that happened right smack in the middle of our college time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of got robbed of it. And mm-hmm. it's, it, it can be so sad to think about that, like, oh, I, I lost out on all this stuff. I lost out on all these opportunities. And it's, mm-hmm. like, okay to grieve those. Absolutely. It's okay and, to, like, you be should. sad about it. Absolutely. And you should be sad about it. And you should grieve it. And let yourself go through the natural grieving process. Let it die. Let it die. I think I've said this before. Most people presented therapy because something died, something will die, or something needs to die. Let it die, you know? And if you don't let it die, then you'll hold on to it and be like, shoulda, coulda, woulda. You know, if we don't let things die, I think we're so afraid. Well, we do live in like a very death-denying, grief-denying culture because I think we love control. I love control. I don't like things to end. I will cling on to things for dear life. Um, I hate endings. Having even studied grief, like even, you know, with the breakup situation like I was hanging on for dear life and I was like my best friend was like Catherine you are not desperate you are determined and I was like yes I I don't like endings I don't like seeing endings but everything does end and that's the sad part is that we we don't talk about endings as much so when it happens it feels like it's totally left field instead of just being part of the natural lived process things end it really does. And so if we could just normalize endings, then we can get better at letting things die. And letting things die, not necess- I'm not saying that's why I think it's so good that we are expanding this conversation to non-death losses. Letting things die, grieving so that we can have a bigger life ahead. You know, when you go through the gutting experience, you come out, I would say, more resilient, more empathetic, um, Things that really pissed you off and bothered you, maybe pre-loss, don't even touch you. Don't even get in your periphery. Like, things that would have bugged me before my dad passed, um, after he passed, and even after a few more losses, I was like, ah, that doesn't even touch me. On to the next. On to the next life experience. It kind of, like, throws you to the ground, guts you open, and then when you come back, you're like, huh. I'm here. I'm here again. It's been a minute. It's been a minute, world. My exploratory system's back on. Let's, let's see what you got for me. But take your time. Take your time. Take your time. Take your time in reconnecting with those things. You don't have to jump back into whatever, you know, you don't have to set yourself on fire to, you know, I think what you were saying before, um, just about, um, Nisha, about like people who are doing their glow ups during their takedowns. You know, I, I think that's also problematic, be, not problematic, it's wonderful. I think it's amazing that people are having their gloves simultaneously as they're being taken down. But I will say, we need to discuss what's really going on behind the scenes. When I had this recent breakup, I lost a significant amount of weight based solely on my inability to consume food. And then also an unresolved eating disorder got kicked back in as a maladaptive coping response to this loss. And what was the information I was receiving from outside was you've never looked better. And I was like, I've never been more gutted. I've never been more miserable in my entire life. But thank God, thank God I'm going through this most horrific time because I've never looked better, apparently. And I went to two weddings and and, and each one they're like, you look amazing. And I was like, this is super confusing because I, my internal organs are just 
ripped apart. My mental health was in the gutter. And I was just like, another narrative. So yes, we can be seeing someone's glow up when they're being totally destroyed. But normalizing what's behind the glow up also is helpful in the narratives of like, oh my gosh, you just went through all that. Be like, you're so strong and powerful. It's like, yeah, but also like, I want you to see, and I know that's becoming more common in social media too, but it's like the times that I had, had my head buried into our couch, knowing everything I know about grief, knowing everything I know about grief research and loss. I still didn't even know I was in the acute grief stage with the breakup until probably having to re re go into the literature for this talk. <laughs> Honestly, I was just like, this is never going to end. This pain is the worst pain in the whole wide world. Oh my gosh, I hate being human. I want to, I, I was like talking to my dog. I was like, I'm so willing to trade spots with you or even my house plant. That's where I was at with the grief. I was like, I would rather be my little black lab or my house plant. And knowing, and that's, that's problematic, even as someone who knows so much about grief. So I think just, and I, I think that's what you're talking about mm. is the perfect segue into telling our audience that in the second part of this um, podcast, we're going to talk about all about how to live with grief, how to deal with it, how to actually live mm. with the loss that we're dealing with. So today we were talking about what is it, how, like, how can you recognize it? And then in the second part, we're going to talk about how to live with it and how to deal with it and how to have your quote unquote glow up. So um, looks like this is all we have time for today, but we invite you to come to the second part of this and we will be releasing, you know, the date. So save the date. Um, the non-death grief you mentioned. So <clears throat> oh, what it's called, disenfranchised grief. Oh, I, I like have this popped on my computer. And so I'm like trying to type it in using my laptop but it's <laughs> on my phone. So that's like not going to make sense. Um, but, um, yeah, save the date for the second part of this because we will be talking about all about how to live with it, how to deal and how to be healthy while living with it. Um, so and how different cultures, we can talk about that, how different cultures, yeah. you know, different, you know, how different, you know, ways of expressing grief or not expressing grief um, varies because um, I know we do have a very diverse population here at Baruch and just in New York City, so just making sure everyone feels included and heard and yeah and what I wanted to mention is before we end that for those students who are experiencing grief um, on our Brook campus we have resources like the Dean of Students you can reach out to them at Dean of Students at Brook.cuny.edu or visit the office at um, NVC in the vertical campus 3-175 and you can speak to someone um, on campus to, to help you with um, dealing. Uh, the next podcast will be announced. You can, um, we don't have the date yet, but we will announce it soon. Um, and we will announce it on Instagram and our newsletter. So you can, um, you know, keep, keep in touch to our Instagram. And um, we do have a question for you. We would like to know if any of you in the audience would be interested in being a part of a grief support group on campus mm -hmm. if we were to open one so you could let us know now or um, later on on our Instagram mm -hmm. you could a direct message us on this Instagram you could send us an email at joy.allison at um, 
or come into our office at 3-241 and let us know um, if you would be interested um, because we are we are really you know talking about starting one and you know having mm -hmm. these conversations more regularly and more on a discussion based um, type of basis and um, yeah Catherine if you have anything else to, to add if you would like to say anything else before we end yeah I think just in first of all thank you so much for having me for letting me talk about grief it is a topic that is close to my heart but I also just love kind of getting the word out there because normalizing it is something I think that is important um, with the grief support group again as you know not to like try to force you into it but the research does show that the most effective ways to kind of mitigate any sort of maladaptive coping behaviors during you know the acute grief stage especially is you know the support of humans um, and the peer-to-peer -peer support has been shown to be super super helpful especially for the college age um, and so that would be a gorgeous opportunity to kind of start and like really facilitate healing on an individual level I think coupled with these sorts of podcasts or just you know are discussing these topics um more openly and just kind of it's, it's gonna be a long road um to having like a very grief sensitive world which i think is why i, I don't know why it's taking so i don't i just don't know what in the world um got us to the point of isolating when we're sad there's like um i read something about like you know why we have why we have these strong emotions why to signal to other humans that we need help it's so it's pretty basic like why do we cry and scream and evoke pain it's it's a signal for others to rally around us and be like yo i need help and that's where the empathy comes in it's like oh I know how it feels to be gutted. I'm going to run and help that person. So it's like so innate and so what makes us very connected. And so I just simplifying it to that, like letting your grief, no, no matter how messy your grief reaction might be, I just, wherever you can express it, that's safe. I would recommend expressing it because isolating yourself, you know, it's only going to cumulatively hurt you in the long run um you know having someone uncomfy yeah that might be you know uncomfy for them but eventually they'll have to learn how to you know come across someone who is grieving so might as well learn now um but if you are in the acute grief stage um if you're grieving a loss if you're grieving the loss of a relationship if you're grieving the loss of a class or a major or a death loss just know that you know you do have support through us and I just want to validate that you are not going crazy, that it is very gutting and um, time will heal with the right supports. Um, amen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at about exits or endings. I told you I hate endings. So I'll all be like, okay, let's do this for three more hours. Blah, 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 Catherine, blah, blah, blah. Well, once again, thank <laughs> you, Catherine. You're welcome. Thank you, Catherine, having this great conversation um yeah. i'm excited to talk again soon and hopefully we do form this group and help people in the best yes. way we can i would love to thank you thank you so much Catherine. thank okay, you bye everyone and thank you